Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Genesis chapter 28. We're going to pray. I'll let you be seated tonight. I've got a little bit of lengthy reading. But Genesis chapter 28, it's an age-old story for some. But perhaps we will let the Spirit of God touch our, all of our heart with a fresh anointing. Amen. I'm not sure I'm having just a few little voice problems. I didn't know that today. I sat down in the, in the living room, was going to pick up my guitar, was going to sing, and I couldn't sing. <laughs> and uh, so just ask you to bear with me. Maybe it'll clear up here in a little bit. But the book of Genesis chapter 28, we're going to begin reading with verse number 10. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your strength. I thank you for the word. It is the word tonight that will serve as the centerpiece of what we do. We're not only going to warm our hands, but we're going to warm our hearts and our lives around the central truth of your unbending, unyielding word. Strengthen us now. God, let that forever settled word find a place in our heart and lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In Genesis chapter 28, I want to take my text from here. Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to begin reading with verse number 10. I'm going to read down through verse number 19 and, and just ask you to follow along with me if you will. The Bible says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went unto Haran, went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took stones of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, behold, a ladder set upon the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west to the east and to the north to the south and in thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And I, behold, I am with thee. And I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. The scripture says, and he was afraid and said how dreadful or how awesome if we were to put that in our terminology. And so the word afraid is a reverent fear. 
He was afraid and, and, and how dreadful is this place is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel which means the house of God. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. And with that, I want to preach tonight about the God of the house of God. The God of the house of God. And uh, many are familiar perhaps with the story of Jacob's dream and the angels ascending and descending. Uh, for some, you may have heard that story as far back. You can trace that maybe all the way back to a Sunday school room or a children's service somewhere. While he slept in a strange place, in a strange fashion, or at least strange to us. The Bible says that he laid on a stone and used a stone as a pillow, as a pillow which was not uncommon, of course, in that day, but that then when he awakened from this dream, the scripture says that he poured oil upon that place, realizing that God had been there, and he said, I want to call this Bethel the house of God. Now, I want to just pause right here for just a moment and just stop this story and we'll go somewhere else for a little while, but we're coming back here, so just hang on. This was an incredible experience, of course, for Jacob and I believe it would have been for anyone to have a dream that, that was that palatable, that, a dream that was that real. However, the life of Jacob would take many turns and many twists before it would lead him back to this very place. God said, I will bring you back again. It was a big chasm between that statement and him actually coming back to that place. So I want to consider this story tonight in its entirety, and we'll just walk through it little by little. But in verse number 11 and in verse number 18, we are reminded that he slept on the ground and he used a stone for his pillow and as he slept, he saw a great ladder or stairway, whatever you would like to interpret that to be. But most importantly, there were angels that were ascending and descending, angels that were going up and down between heaven and earth. It was here in this dream that Jacob realized a number of things, but I think perhaps one of the most important things that Jacob learned is a lesson that all of us learn, and that is, is that we are not alone and that God is with us. And I believe that we can say that and we can sing that. We can hear sermons about it and it be a distant thing. But when we walk through certain places in our life, we are reminded that God is with us. He sustains us and helps us. It's not just a passage of scripture. It's not just something that we hold on to as a frail promise, but it is the valid word of God. And so he discovered that God was with him and that the God of his father and the God of his grandfather was watching over him. And he realized what David would later write about in Psalms 91, that God had given his angels charge over him. Lest he dash his foot against the stone, the angels would be there to bear him up. In verses 13, 14, and 15, Jacob saw the Lord above him, but he didn't just see him, he heard him speak. Now we could easily assume if you are reading chronologically the story of Jacob, just a few verses before this, Jacob in cahoots with his own mother had cheated his brother out of his birthright. 
in a very dastardly fashion. So we would assume in our own human way of thinking that if God is going to show up in the life of Jacob and say anything, especially on the heels of this deed, that God is going to show up to rebuke him. And God's going to show up and set him in order. But that's not at all what happened. Instead, God spoke words of promise to him and assured him that I will be with you. He said, the same God that cared for your father and the same God that cared for your grandfather is now pledging in this moment to take care of you. And he said, I will give you the very land upon which you lay. The dirt that you're laying on, I'm gonna give you that land. And then the Lord said, I'm gonna multiply your descendants and they're gonna be like the dust of the earth and, and, and in them I'm gonna fulfill all things. I'm gonna bring promise and blessings and through your lineage, I am gonna bless the entire world. I'm just gonna be honest with you tonight. I think if I had just got through doing what Jacob had got through doing and I woke up and the Lord was standing there, I'm thinking, call in the troops. Amen. I read a, a cute little thing. I, I intend later, perhaps even tonight, to send this to Elaine. I want her to share this with Brother Tumman. I read a little caption that, that said uh, to a, a man in the, in the church that had just graduated from the police academy. And so they said, well, what are you going to do if you're riding down the road and you pull somebody over for speed and it's your pastor? He said, the first thing I'm going to do is call for backup. <laughs> this is not going to be pretty. And so I'm just imagining myself in the, in the eyes of Jacob or in the minds of Jacob. If I had all this blood on my hand and had truly done something as, as desperate as he had done and now I wake up in a dream and God is there and God starts speaking, I'm thinking, man, heaven is fixing to open up and I'm fixing to be a greasy spot when this is all left. But God just begins to pour out blessings and makes promises to him over and over and over. And God said, no matter what happens, in essence, I am committed to you to fulfill my will in your life and in the seed, in the lives of your seed and your heritage. The promises of God are all throughout scripture. How that God will stand with us and stay with us. And David said in Psalms 46 and verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Think about that. Amen. God, the Lord of hosts, is with us. And the God of Jacob is our refuge. So impacted was David by this statement that in just a few verses later, in verse number 11, he repeats this word for word. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And so we're a long ways removed from Jacob, but David is saying the God of Jacob the God that made this promise on this evening, reminding us that the God of Jacob is our fortress. God would appear to Jacob at least five more times in the years ahead, but this first meeting was a very significant meeting. Nothing would pale, cause it to pale. He learned that God was interested in him. He learned that God was gonna do a work not around him, but God was gonna do a work in him. And from that night on, as long as he trusted the Lord and as long as he obeyed the will of God, he had nothing to fear because God was gonna be with him. And so when Jacob wakes up from this dream, rightly so, his first response 
was fear. Again, I think that was a reverent fear, but his first response was fear and surprise that he said, God has been in this place and I didn't even know it. I laid down here and I was so caught up with the cares of the day and the moment, the weariness of my own flesh. I laid down, went to sleep, but God was here. And his, his, his initial response, I think, was right. Solomon would write in Proverbs 1 and 7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so the, to understand that God has been in this place. And so Jacob discovered Something else, he discovered that he could find God in some unlikely places. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that God can move in, in some unlikely places. We can build beautiful buildings and we can get all of our programs just right, but I'm gonna tell you God is God and he can move anywhere and he can move any way and he can move in some of the most absurd circumstances God can move. The Bible says, Jacob, he said that that the place where he was laying, he called that Bethel, the house of God. In Psalms 90 and one, David said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. David understood that it wasn't God in a box or it wasn't God in a place. It wasn't God at a certain longitude or latitude, but it was God, amen, himself. It's not the brick and mortar that really makes this building a church. It's God in this house. That's what makes this building a church. Through the years, I've had the privilege to minister in many home missions, churches, and works, and, and uh, it's not always altogether a building that's ever been used for the purpose of church. It may be a little bit of anything or, and everything, but we can learn quickly in settings like that that we need God in our midst, and wherever God is, then it will be church. It will, it will make, that's what makes it church. And so the next act was to worship God that it appeared to him. So the Bible says that he took the stones that he used for pillows and he anointed them and they became pillars. That was a very significant move because Jacob wanted to memorialize this great experience. He said, I don't wanna, I know that I won't ever forget this, but I wanna leave something behind me that signifies this moment. Then the scripture says that he poured oil on it. Now pouring of the oil, pouring something out, uh, certainly pouring of the oil was consecrating that thing unto the Lord. He didn't use the stone as an altar of sacrifice. He didn't use it as an altar of incense, but it became a memorial. He set it apart. This past weekend, I talked about those that talked about being like poured out water that was symbolic. It was something that we can't gather it all back again. And so it was symbolic of Jacob was symbolizing, I'm pouring out my life right here and I'm devoting it to you. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15, Paul says, I will gladly spend and be spent. And amen. That's a very broad statement, but Paul said, I will gladly spend and I will be spent. I will pour my life out. I will consecrate myself to you. Most importantly, Jacob dedicated himself to the Lord in that moment. It was there that he claimed the promises that God had made to him. And in verses number 20 and 21, Jacob made a vow. He said, he said if you will be with me and if you will keep me in this way, and if you will give me bread, and if you will give me clothes to wear, and if you will let me come back in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Now, I think it's important 
when you're studying the scripture to understand that by no means was Jacob bargaining with God because the word if in these verses also can be translated since. And so Jacob is saying, since you're gonna be with me and since you're gonna keep me and you're gonna give me bread and clothes to wear and since you're gonna bring me back in peace, I just want you to know that you're my God. We are in this together. He wasn't saying if you will, I will. He was just saying because you are and since you are, then I'm gonna devote and commit myself to you as well. So God had promised to take care of him and be with him and bring him back home safely. And now Jacob is saying, to you and to you alone, I will give all of my worship. Jacob didn't have an easy life in the years that would come beyond this experience in the desert. Many things could be talked about in David's life. Even though God had forgiven all of the sins of Jacob and even though God had promised to be with him on his journey, it's very clear that Jacob suffered the consequences of his wrong decisions, as do we all. Anybody ever had to live with the consequences of the decisions that you made in the past? You, the harvest comes in, you can't get mad at life and start throwing darts at other people. You just gotta say, you know what? I planted this seed and I'm just gonna have to bear with this harvest. I'm just gonna have to bear with this. And so with God, we have two things. God gives us the, has the grace to forgive, but he is also a God of righteous judgment or a God of righteous government. God is going to keep everything right. In his grace, God can and does forgive us, but in his righteous government, God sees to it that we reap what we sow. That is the law of the harvest. And so whatever we put in the ground, that's coming back to us. That's not God uh, that's not God being unkind. That's not God trying to be spiteful. But that is God helping us to grow. Amen. I've heard it said all of my life, or at least my adult life, that a lesson bought is a lesson taught. And sometimes the more something costs you, the better the lesson is. We say, I'm not going there again because I understand the outcome of that last time. Jacob had deceived Isaac, the law of the harvest. Let's think about that for just a moment in the, in the life of Jacob. Jacob had deceived Isaac, but his father-in-law, Laban, I'm telling you, Jacob met his match in Laban. Laban lied to him. He deceived him. Jacob used a kid to deceive his father. And then the law of the harvest, Jacob's sons used a kid to deceive their father. So it just comes back home. And many times it comes home in spades. I've quoted him often, but my great friend, Brother G. Oliver Barnes, that pastors in Fort Lauderdale years ago, he said, brethren, you can never just push one bean in the ground and only get one bean back. You're gonna push one bean in the ground, but you're gonna get way more than one bean back. And so Jacob used a kid to deceive his father, but his sons were gonna bring that right back home to him. During the years that he worked for Laban, Jacob endured many, many trials, both as a shepherd and, and a husband to multiple wives and the father of many children. And so Jacob had a lot of things that he had to endure in his life. But the thing that kept him going was the promise that God had made to him. God promised to be with him even when you're reaping what you sow. God said, I'm gonna be with you even when the harvest is coming home and you don't think you can bear it. I am going to be with you. God promised to be with him and the Lord didn't fail him and he's not gonna fail us. Years later, after much sorrow and trouble, the Lord 
asked Jacob to return to Bethel, the place of blessings. You see, Jacob had been following his own path, marching to the beat of his own drum, making his own decisions and looking out for number one. He was seeking wealth and prosperity and, and if I may even say fame to some degree. And in the process of all of this, Jacob was more concerned about Jacob than he was God. He was more concerned about where he wanted to be and what would put him in a better position to be uh, more successful in life, so to speak. And in the process of all this, and as I said a moment ago, there's many things we could mention about the life of Jacob, but I'll just pause on this one here for a moment. He moved himself and his family near Shechem. And it was when he was near Shechem that his daughter named Dinah got in out into the world, if you so to speak, and she got in a world of trouble. She got influenced by the ladies and the women of Shechem. You see, Dinah was the seventh child of Jacob and Leah. And after a while, the lure of Shechem, after a while, the lights and the glamour of Shechem somehow just got in the mind and the heart of Dinah. And she said, I just want to go and I just want to be with the ladies. I just want to be with the ladies of Shechem. I just want to be like them. I just want to walk with them for a little while. When she went out of the safety of her father's house, you can read this in your own Bible, that Dinah got the eye of the prince of the city and the prince of the city raped her. It was a very tragic thing to happen. But can I tell you, the tragedy was far from over because after this dastardly thing had been done, Dinah's brothers, a man by the name of Simeon and another by the name of Levi, they said, we will execute revenge upon Shechem for the sake of our, our sister Dinah that has been mistreated and mishandled. We are going to take revenge ourselves. And if you begin to read that scripture, I will tell you, you'll read about a very, very bloody scene. And before it was over, blood was almost running in the streets. You see, it's gonna come home to you. We cannot just do for ourselves. We gotta realize I'm positioning not just me, but I'm positioning my wife or my family, in this case, my children, in this specific case, my daughter. I am putting them in harm's way. Jacob was so distressed by the actions, by that that had happened to Dinah, and by the actions of his own sons. He was so distressed by that. To be sure, he has been worn down by the years of reaping all of the things that happened in those misspent years. He had gained wealth. He had gained popularity. He was a prosperous man. Whatever he set his hand to, it just seemed to turn to gold, but it had gained him. He had lost so much more, rather, than he had ever gained. In the end, he was saying, like men have said to me literally, I would give it all back if I could just get back what I have lost. I would turn all if I could just turn back time and get and have my family back and have purity back. If I could just turn back time. But he just moved a little too close to Shechem. And in the process of all that, he had fallen out of fellowship with the Lord. And because of that, he suffered the consequences of careless living. I could tell you today that it's much reminiscent of the hour in which we're living, living his life 
from the standpoint of the immediate. Living life from the standpoint of what can I get out of this today. I will tell you as I've said many, many times as a pastor and shepherd, if your promotion is going to keep you out of church, it's not going to be a promotion. If the raise on your job is going to separate you from God, that few more dollars in the bank, I promise you God will see to it that that money goes into bags with holes in it. That's what Amos said and you're never going to prosper. It's never going to... You're never going to win. You're never going to put God second and then somehow it all come out in the end. Amen. We can't live for the here and now. We can't live for the immediate. I can't live for what suits me and serves me because somewhere in the day to day, somewhere in the day by day, Jacob left out the consecration of spiritual investment. He left out what it takes to just hold hands with God every day. Paul, Paul said it this way, that we should work walk rather circumspectly. Amen, that means careful. That means guarded or discreet. That means vigilant. That means observant. That we need to walk circumspectly. I gotta be careful. I need to be bold. I need to be courageous, but I've also gotta be diligent. I need to be bold, but I've got to be discreet. I need to be bold, but I've got to be observant. I just can't close my eyes and run blindly. I've got to walk circumspectly before the Lord. And so here Jacob finds himself in the greatest mess of all messes. And so he needs a new start. So he tells his household to put away their strange gods and to be clean and to change their garments. And this is great advice for all of us tonight. We need to make our way back to Bethel. There are, I believe, some here tonight in this service and others that will watch this service online. Maybe you've moved yourself and your family and those that you influence too close to Shechem. And if you're not careful when you're living on the outskirts of Shechem, the wrong thing is gonna get the attention of your children. The wrong thing is gonna get the attention of your companion. The wrong thing is gonna get the attention of those that you love. I'm gonna tell you, I don't want the lights and the noise and the sounds. Amen, I don't want that to be what lures me to sleep at night. I want the power and the presence of Almighty God to touch my mind and my heart. If you've moved too close to Shechem, I want to ask you tonight to put a for sale sign in your yard. Drive it down and drive it down deep and just say this world is not my home. It's not worth the investment. It's not worth what I might gain in this world. What would it mean? What would it gain a man? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but you lose your own soul? You lose your own soul. If you're not careful living on the edge like Dinah, you're going to hear, feel, and experience the influence and the lure of the world. Amen. I will tell you tonight one more time, and if God will give me breath, I'll keep saying it. Don't ever let coming to the house of God be an option in your home. Don't let that be a topic of discussion. Our children's ears should never burn with such words. Don't ever allow prayerlessness to be a part of your life. Don't ever say, I don't need the word of God. I don't need another sermon. I don't need another song. I don't need another trip to the altar. I don't need another trip to repent. I don't need another altar to die on. Amen, don't ever let cynicism and criticism, amen, don't ever let divisiveness, divisiveness become a part of our life. I don't want it here. I don't want it in my mind. I don't want it in my heart. I don't want it in my home. Why? Because it's only going to destroy. It will rob me. It will destroy me. It will rob my family of blessings beyond measure. I've got to return to Bethel. Please trust me this evening. 
It costs too much in more ways than one to live in Shechem. Jacob starts making his way back. He's a different man. He's got a lot more gray hair, several more earned wrinkles. He comes back, Genesis 35, and he built there an altar. And he called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. And so when Jacob comes back to Bethel, he doesn't just call it Bethel. That's what it was before. But now it's El Bethel. The first time, there was an emphasis on the place, the house of God. But this time, there's an emphasis on the God of the house. El Bethel, the God of the house. That's what that means, the God of the house. The first time, it was just God had been here. Amen. The first time it was just a place. The first time it was just a building, if you please. The first time it was just a spot on the ground. The first time it was just a few oily rocks in a dry place. But now, now, it was now we're talking about the God of this place. I want to tell you unequivocally and without shame that I love church and I love this church. Amen. I love this church building. I love to be in this building. I love to be here with you, but I love to be here alone as well. I love this building. There are many places of worship that are that I hold near and dear to me. By default, I get to spend a lot of time at the campground. I've often, not just in the last year or so, but many times through the years, I've stood in the old tabernacle, what is now our youth tabernacle, and I've just stood in that building. I've stood there alone many, many times. And I've looked around at that old tabernacle. I've seen pictures of it before it had windows. And and it was just an old block building with just open spaces. And I've just thought about how many lives. I know we use it as a youth tabernacle now. And children tonight, I promise you there will somebody get the Holy Ghost in that building tonight. And I appreciate what God is doing currently. But I'm telling you, there are times I've stood in that building And I've just thought about the decades and decades and decades where camp meetings were held and how many lives were changed. Not just people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but how many families were put back together and how many ministries were saved or how many ministries were launched from right there in that old tabernacle. I've stood there and thought about all those places where God has spoken the new tabernacle. Of course, we were there at its inception, the groundbreaking and watching that wonderful building more than an acre of ground under roof to see that come up out of the ground and to stand there today for what it is and how many memories we have in that tabernacle now about to celebrate our 16th year there and how many miracles have been done and how many lives have been changed. So there's a lot of buildings, that's my point, that I hold near and dear to me. I appreciate, I enjoy going into some of those buildings and praying when I'm there and it's a wonderful thing to have good memories and it's a wonderful thing to have have physical locations that we can associate with those memories but I'm going to tell you the fellowship of God means more than any particular place God forbid that fire or a storm would take any of those above mentioned buildings out of our life and permanently erase them except for memories and, and, and pictures somewhere but I'm going to tell you that if that were to happen by the strike of midnight tonight it doesn't have anything to do with the God of the house we may lose the house of God but we can but we can we can afford to lose the house of God way 
more than we can ever afford to lose the God of the house. And so when I come in, I'm glad we have an appointed place. I'm glad we have an appointed time. I'm so thankful that we're here tonight. Not randomly. You planned to be here. You planned it this morning when you got up. You knew what time you had to get off work. You knew what time you needed to be home. You knew what time you needed to leave home if we're going to get to the house of God on time. Amen. I'm thankful we have a place. But I'm going to tell you what means more to me than that was what I felt when I walked in the door. I didn't just smell a familiar building. I didn't just see a familiar sight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't just look around and see people that I recognize, but I felt, amen, in the house of God, I felt the God of the house, the God of the house that says I'm here to heal, the God of the house that says I'm here to deliver, the God of the house that says I'm here to lift you up, the God of the house that says I can lift you and turn you around. I love the house of God, but I'm in love with the God of the house. Let's clap our hands. Oh my, amen. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come tonight. Some people can get so fixated on special moments and special places. And I I don't wanna offend anybody here tonight. I too just got through talking about how much I love and have some special places in my heart. A couple of years ago, or I mean a couple of months ago, a few months ago, had the privilege to be back in the church in Eagle Lake and I was sit there and I looked at the pulpit, the very pulpit where I preached my very first sermon. A lot of memories, a lot of memories right there. You probably want to be thankful you weren't there that night. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good memories for me. But if we're not careful, we could get fixated on special moments, right. special places. We can invest and spend time speaking, seeking rather for some kind of spiritual high, spiritual thrill that comes to us from certain events or certain places. Maybe to bring greater clarity to what I'm trying to say, let me say it this way. Many people want to build their lives around perhaps the schedule of the local church or maybe perhaps place a lot of emphasis on certain meetings like camp meeting or general conference or North American Youth Congress and the list could go on. And they're forever looking for the next big thing. I've met many people in my life that it seems as though they're more intoxicated with the chase than they are the catch. It's the chase of the moment. But when they finally get whatever it is they're looking for, they're just done with that. And it's the next big thing. My wife and I just, the 11th of this month, celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary. There's people here tonight been married longer than that, of course. Many have been married less. We've got some wonderful memories. We've had a wonderful time. God has been kind, better to us than we could have ever imagined. We've got so many memories and so many moments 
we were riding down the road, we get to talking about some of those things and reminiscing about those certain times, places, events. But I want to tell you, a vast majority of those 41 years has just been living. Nothing spectacular happened. <laughs> we didn't kiss or fuss. We're just living. Just getting up and going to work, coming home, and just doing life. And all got rolled into weeks and then months and then years and then decades. And if we're not careful, people can get caught up in the next big thing and lose the value of day to day. To them, Bethel is more important than El Bethel. We just need the house of God, not necessarily the God of the house. But I believe that we should always value God himself more highly than any occasion, any event, any moment in time. I love everything that I've just mentioned, our local church schedule and all the events that we attend throughout our calendar year. But I'm gonna tell you, nothing takes the place of living for God day by day by day. Nobody's looking. And we just picked up our Bible and read it anyway because we wanted to. Nobody was, there's not a big prayer campaign going on at church, nothing wrong with that. We'll have another one coming up soon. We're not a big push for fasting. None of that's going on. We just feel like I need to set this side, set aside this day to fast or the next couple of days. And I just want to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. There's nothing like living for God in season and out. In truth, you see, moments don't last. The greatest weekend, the greatest midweek service is gonna to come to a close. The greatest camp meeting, general conference, North American Youth Congress, or the list goes on and on, is gonna reach its scheduled conclusion. And most of life is just lived by walking along a common road called the daily grind. There's something special about walking with God in momentous moments. But there's also something special about walking with God and just common moments I'm going to ask you to stand <laughs> a local businessman held a precious ruby in his hand his friends gathered around to admire its beauty and its worth the man that owned this gem the man that was holding this stone also owned a grits mill. So to these onlookers, those that, that had gathered to ooh and awe, <laughs> those that had gathered to try to stand on their tiptoes and look over to peek at something of such great value, they wanted to know how it felt to merely touch something of such great value. Some in the crowd said, how can we find a jewel of such value ourselves. To which he simply said, follow me. Follow me and I'll, I'll show you where this stone came from. They followed him to his grits mill. And it was there that he showed them two ordinary stones. They were very ordinary because they were millstones. Nothing fancy about them. Millstones. 
It was through these millstones that grain of corn ran day in and day out, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Compared to the ruby, they were ugly and unattractive, but it was these two ordinary stones that ground grits day by day. And through that, this man was able to make the money to purchase the ruby. You see, sometimes we just want to reach in and we want that great high moment. Somebody says, how'd you get there? I'm going to tell you, you find the greatest, most successful person ever, how you want to deem that or define that and ask them how they got where they are. (laughs) They would probably in light fashion say, follow me. And let me show you something about the daily. It's the daily grind. It's the daily things. Amen. But it's going to the word of God every day and just reading a few scriptures, if nothing else. I'm going to tell you how many times those words have just been quickened to our mind and they have been a life raft when we needed them most. I'm thankful not just for the house of God, but for the God of the house. Amen. Let's love him together. Can we, Lord, I love you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.